and welcome to another uh, thrilling class in the bunker. Um, we are uh, as we're we're going to start making this kind of subtle move now um, from we've been working our way through uh, Genesis, and now we're going to uh, hop up into uh, Exodus. Now, bef before we do that, and as part of way of setting that up, uh, we start taking a look at uh, Moses fully the way that we are. Um, I want to begin uh, today, if I can, by talking about the fact that um, years ago I had a, a, a single mom, uh, a client of mine, and she was faced with a really difficult decision. There was a, there was a, a difficult medical decision that needed to be made about her daughter. Um, and there were a lot of opinions about whether she should actually follow through on this medical procedure or not. In a way it was a bit optional. And and as a single mom she really wanted to make sure that she was um, was not making a wrong choice on this. Uh, but so what she actually did is kind of doubled down on research and she talked to a lot of people and and the more people she talked to the more decisions the, the more decisions it felt like she had to make because everybody had a different viewpoint on this particular medical uh, procedure and she froze and she knew she needed to like tell the doctors one way or the other but she couldn't make the decision and she lived in a lot of fear and anxiety for a long time which is how I ended up uh, working with her. And after we had, had looked at it for a long period of time it really became uh, apparent to me that part of the struggle for her was not just having her make uh, a, a uh, informed uh, medical decision Part of her concern was she wanted to feel absolutely at peace and calm about this decision, especially given the amount of information that she had gotten over time about what she should do or, or not do. She wanted to make the right decision, but she needed to make the right decision with absolute certainty and no doubt and no question whatsoever. Now, to a certain extent, uh, I, I want to jump to, I think that's a problem that we have uh, across the board. Um, years ago, I was asked to, uh, I was actually asked to speak at, to a Relief Society group, and I asked them for the name of the topic, and what they told me is they wanted me to speak on the topic of promptings or me, which I thought was a really great topic. So great so much that I ended up writing a book about it. But as we went through trying to tell the difference between getting an answer to prayer and finding out whether it was a prompting from the Spirit or whether it was our own decision, I had a wonderful sister come up to me after and she said, um, I realize that part of why it is that I've been sitting and listening to all of this, she says, I realize I wanted to use the spirit as a backstop. You think about a backstop in somebody playing baseball, you know, if the ball gets past the catcher, the backstop stops it from going on into the crowd. It's, so it's a guarantee. 
that the ball won't get away. So she was really actually pretty accurate in, in her understanding that she wanted to use the spirit as a backstop, meaning that uh, she said, I wanted to avoid feeling guilty at all by using the spirit to ever make a mistake. In other words, if she had honed her, her spiritual tune, she was tuned spiritually to a certain extent, she should never make a mistake. Always follow the spirit. It's not going to be a mistake. Always follow the spirit. You won't have to feel guilty because you will, the spirit will lead you to perfection. And you won't ever have to worry about any decisions you've made because the spirit will always be your backstop, always be your guarantee and your warranty. What a deal. And as we walked along the way, she began to realize, as many did in the class, that the spirit can never be a complete backstop, that there will always be a certain amount of uh, uncertainty about certain things, even when we feel prompted or feel inspired to move ahead with certain decisions. It doesn't leave out, it doesn't immediately eliminate all the questions. Now, one more good example of this uh, is, is actually a, a pretty good one, and that is that um, for a long period of time, um, Wilford Woodruff, who had been uh, a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, really since far west uh, Missouri, had a, had a major question that he was worried about, and that is um, that, that back then, part of what they would do is that if you were going to be sealed in the temple, because you didn't know exactly whether your parents or their parents would ever accept the church, accept being baptized, certainly hadn't been baptized in this life, they were really worried always about being sealed to somebody who hadn't yet accepted the gospel because it might leave you hanging for eternity. So they had the, what we call the principle of adoption, which was, I will be adopted into the family of Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or Wilford Woodruff. And even then, a lot of people were being sealed to Wilford Woodruff rather than their parents because they knew Wilford Woodruff was a good man and he would get them to heaven. They would make the celestial kingdom because they had hitched their ceiling and their family to a star that would guarantee them making it to heaven. Well, Wilford Woodruff, by the late 1880s and early 90s, was uneasy with that. And so we get, in probably early 1894, as he becomes prophet, one of the things that he asks the Lord is, who should I be sealed to? And the very clear answer that he got was, well, you should be sealed to your parents. Which was a thought that had never really occurred to him. Now, where did that idea come from? This, this need for certainty, this need to eliminate all questions so there's absolutely no doubt. Well, 
I think it's kind of built into our culture, to be honest with you. And that is that our culture, and to a certain extent a lot of culture, but uh, really if we talk about from a theological standpoint, it's our church culture. We love certainty and absolutes. And we're going to work really hard at knowing something for sure. Listen in our testimonies. We, We will say... I know that the church is true with every fiber of my being. But, like, wow, even my, even my heart muscle, even my uh, tendons all know that the church is true. So I don't just know it a little bit. I know with every fiber of my being that Joseph Smith uh, was a prophet. Or... I'm going to, I have a belief in these things beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know for sure. And, or we'll say something like, I have an unwavering faith. We kind of go back to uh, James 1, 5, where, where uh, Joseph Smith is, is saying, you have, to, you have to pray and nothing wavering for he that wavers is like a, a, a sand, the, the sea and the waves and wow so you're never supposed to have if you have true faith the really good faith the beyond the fiber of your being faith you never have a question and in fact what we do is we go beyond that um because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, which means it kind of part and parcel is you're not very righteous. And so we actually kind of go down that road to make certainty part of testimony. Why? Because we, we, I know beyond of a shadow of a doubt, with unwavering faith, that this is the only true and living church for sure all all faith all knowledge all understanding is in this church only and i have no doubt about that if i have doubt in there i have a real problem well what's the problem well similar to what president woodruff in 1894 would be when he asked a question who should i be sealed to what he's being told is be sealed to your parents. And he says, what if they don't accept the gospel in the next life? And the answer is, they will. So in 1894, in essence, Wilford Woodruff stands up in general conference and he says, the way that we have been doing our sealings in the church for 50 years has been wrong. We have been adopting ourselves into the family of prominent men in the church, prominent priesthood holder. And he says, from this moment on, I am instructing all of our temples to to have people sealed, not to Joseph Smith, but to their parents. And have their parents sealed to their parents. Because we believe that they will accept the gospel in the next life. Now, that, that then sets up our, our battle here, which is what we end up doing is say, 
we want absolute certainty. And what, is, what does that mean? Well, it means that if we have faith, what we're really saying is we have knowledge. It's not just a belief. It is a knowledge. And I have a testimony. And it's not, a, it's not one of I believe. We're saying, no, I know that the church is true. As much as I'm standing here, I know the church is true. And that is actually a sign then that my, that level of certainty means I have a certain level of righteousness. Talking to a young man the other day, and, and we were kind of going down this road, and I said, so uh, do you know that Joseph Smith actually saw the Father and the Son in the sacred grove? And he says, yes, I know that. And I said, were you there? Well, no. Then how do you know? And he says, because I know. I have a testimony. I said, what does that mean? And he says, well, because I, have, I feel it. And I said, yes, you have a knowledge of what you have felt. And that, that knowledge and that, and that strength that you feel means that you believe strongly in a way that brings you peace and calm that you interpret as the Holy Ghost and, and, and it is that Joseph Smith did see the Father and the Son in the grove that's different from uh, that means you have faith in that but remember faith is not to have a perfect knowledge it's what Alma was trying to say to the Amalekites in, in Alma 32. Blessed are you who haven't seen who believe. That means there's always some room there for some doubt, some uncertainty. But what they stand on, what they know is what they believe and what they feel strongly and that, that, that the power of that experience motivates them to move forward and to have similar experiences like that. Now, so that's, we want that absolute certainty. Now, the challenge comes is that the, the alternative to that is when we have some kind of questions about something. We are less than certain by raising a question. We don't understand something, okay? Now, if if we're gonna if we're gonna double down on this idea of absolute certainty, if we have a question, then we have a tendency to towards guilt, and this is where uh, I want to talk about this week, and then we're gonna continue this into next week. I want to talk talk about what uh, Terrell and Fiona Givens have called an epidemic of guilt. And this is one of those areas where I believe that it shows up. It's this sense of guilt that comes that I don't have certainty. Some people, they, they believe with all the fiber of their being. They have it, and I don't have it. They're righteous, I'm not. Uh, they're more worthy. They got, the, they got the spirit. I guess I don't because I have doubts or some questions. And so as we do that, and that's proof to us, and maybe sometimes even to somebody else, that maybe you have a lack of faith because 
We're supposed to doubt not, fear not, and if we're having doubts, then we're having lack of, we're having fear, and that fear is a lack of faith. So that really, we tend to go down the road then of saying that means I'm really not as in tune as those who know all the fiber people. They know. I'm not in tune because I have doubts and I have questions. Therefore, I'm going to feel guilty and I'm going to maybe double down on... Maybe I do... Uh, I read the Book of Mormon three times a day. Maybe I do Come Follow Me around the clock. Maybe I, you know, I'm going to somehow try and build up my testimony so I won't have doubt, so I won't have guilt. And th again, it, our culture has kind of promulgated this, to be honest with you, brothers and sisters. Sometimes when people have a question like, I'm not completely sure about this with Joseph Smith, or I'm not completely sure. And the response for generations has been, careful, careful. You're going to question yourself right out of the church. Or we'll hear, it's just not important to your salvation. Don't worry about it. It's the mysteries. You, fa you focus on just reading the Book of Mormon and you'll be fine. Don't have questions. And for all means, don't have doubts. Because you've got to pray until you don't have doubts. And really what we're, what we're saying is, is that to have doubts and have questions is a form of sin and unworthiness. I think we forget things like uh, that, that wonderful man who brings his struggling son to the Savior. And the Savior asks him, Do you believe? And you remember that man's wonderful response? I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I am somewhere between believing and not believing, but I do believe. But can you help me grow as I'm as I'm battling my unbelief? Now, as we do this, then here's where we get this possibility of of being able to give ourselves space and grace to say I get to research I get to grow I get to learn and that's not sin and that's not a sign of unworthiness that's a sign of growth and learning can we can we keep in mind for instance uh, the the truth about doubts we need to recognize that the church was revealed to Joseph Smith only after his, his own doubts about himself and about what he was hearing. Those drove him to search for answers. That uh, every section in the Doctrine and Covenants that we are studying this year came as a result of a question. 
Section 76, the Doctrine and Covenants, the great vision, the three degrees of glory, came as Sidney and Joseph were looking at each other and says, the Book of Mormon and parts of the Bible suggest that there's a judgment day and you're consigned to heaven or hell. Live with God, fry in, in hell. And they had doubts about it. They said, that just doesn't make sense that a God would do that to his children. And so they asked. And what they got was the vision, this expansive view of, the, of our growth through the, the kingdoms in the eternities that wouldn't have come if they didn't have a doubt or didn't have a question about something. Okay? So I believe that our doubts, those things that lead us to ask searching questions, it leads us to search and dig for answers about God and about ourselves. So often those who, who had have had questions about the church and they've gone to somebody who said, don't worry about it. It's not important to your salvation. Man, you know, it's not valid questions and everything. Well, how many of those wonderful people said, obviously the church it may be hiding something or doesn't have all the information or they're trying to cover something up so I can't trust the church or the gospel for answers. And then they go to other people who certainly have their answers and are more than willing to engage in questions and fire up doubts and, and fog the whole question even further. The gospel has wonderful answers that as we search them out, we can gain more knowledge and understanding. But if we're going to try and gain knowledge and understanding about, for instance, why it is that God would give two competing commandments to Adam and Eve in the grove, and to do one is to break the other, that's an eternal conundrum that doesn't have an easy, slotted, gospel doctrine, quick answer. It means wow, we've got to search this through. We've got to dig. this. Some of this doesn't make sense. And we've got to understand and be okay with some gray to, to understand and be comfortable with the not knowing about certain things, but recognize that part of it feels good and that we're on the path. We feel something powerfully that leads us forward. Now, I believe that all of this really kind of comes to a head, or not, not, not necessarily to a head, but it's certainly demonstrated in the life of uh, Moses. And before we start looking in the, in the Genesis part of what we have in Moses, it's really good, I think, to start go to the Pearl of Great Price and get Moses 1, because what we get in Moses 1 is God speaking to his prophet who has doubts about a number of things. And this is, and this is after the burning bush and before Egypt. 
Now, in Moses 1, remember it says, just like Nephi, and I wish we had time to work, show all the parallels here. Just like Nephi, he's taken to a high mountain, one that he says, I've never been here before. And these are the words of Moses, which he spake unto, God spake unto Moses at the time when Moses was caught up to an exceedingly high mountain, the, the temple of the, the time. And he says to him, I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. Wow. Very powerful for a man who has grown up in Egypt and seen the pharaohs as God and their own quest for immortality their rise among the gods and the many pantheon of gods that the Egyptians had. Moses knew that. Moses had seen all that. But now he hears from this great being that says, I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. Thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten son. We don't know if that means he looked like him or at the very least his drive, his spirit, his desires were like unto Jesus. Now, that's a pretty wonderful place. But it's afterwards that we get this interesting experience that we don't always get with other prophets who have had the mountaintop temple experience and the presence of God withdrew from Moses think about Joseph Smith saying he, he, he was without energy and he laid there for a long time in the grove after, the, after the, the vision receded in the sacred grove and he was left to himself and he fell unto the earth after seeing the panorama of everything that God had shown to him and then he records this and it came to pass that Moses did again receive his, his natural strength like unto a man. And he said to himself, what's his reaction to what he's just seen and what he's just experienced? Here's what he says. Now I know that man is nothing. Which thing I had never supposed this is the one that was just standing in the presence of God and seeing so much and being called his son and now we have this son of, son of God and he says now I know man is nothing well that's quite a paradigm shift I Everything I learned in Egypt was that man can die and he can go through the underworld and, and follow what is called the Amduit, the Egyptian endowment. I can, make, I can go to each one of these places, gain the knowledge that I have, have Mott, the, the god Mott, weigh my heart like a feather, find that I'm pure, find that I'm worthy, and I can emerge like the dung beetle out of the dirt into mortality I can be great but his response to this theophany he's just gotten is now I know that man is nothing 
And you think, what does, what does that mean, man, that man is nothing? Well, what do we know ultimately about Moses? We know that he will deliver the children of Israel from Egypt in his weakness, not in his strength. This, this man that supposedly is a son of God, but he's also, man is nothing. He's going to deliver in his weakness of speech, not in his strength. What else do we know? Well, he's going to deliver the children in his faith. Not in peaceful, calm knowledge. As we're going to start taking a look at, at Moses' path, as he's got the children of Israel to Sinai, he's excited to show them at Sinai what is going to happen with uh, uh, what, they, what they can attain to. They turn him down. They don't want it. So he has all the disappointment of having to give them a lower law, the law of Moses, rather than the higher law he wanted to. He's going to get exasperated when they don't want, when, when they want to be fed, they get, they get manna, they don't like that. It's just a series of disappointments in a way, and questioning, and why and how do I do this? And there's just all of this stuff. And you get to see this, this son of God, this man, and he's operating not in peaceful, calm knowledge that he calmly knows everything that's going to happen. His life goes from one question to another, to another, to another. And so we see him oftentimes he's moving forward without a clear reassurance of what's coming next. Brothers and sisters, welcome to our world. That part of what we are struggling and part of what I hope we take from this is a sense that oft times, oft times, oft times we will move forward with a knowledge that we're moving in the right direction but with plenty of questions and doubts because we don't have a complete knowledge of everything that's going to go on. And having to learn how to trust the testimony we get without having a clear knowledge and understanding ourselves is going to make for some dissonance. It, and so I think ultimately there are questions that we have to be willing to ask as we, like Moses, begin this journey into the wilderness with a fractious group of people and plenty of problems. By the way, moms, does that sound like you're crawling out of bed every morning <laughs> and you got hungry mouths to feed and upset and, and all those, those kind of things. So here, here's the questions I think we need to be able to ask. And it's this. Can we learn to recognize doubts and questions that we have as a chance to learn more? If you don't understand something in the gospel, what an opportunity. 
not to feel guilty or not to feel upset, but as a chance to learn and grow and to be taught. Can we become more comfortable with asking questions without feeling guilt because we do? <laughs> without beating ourselves up in our own worthiness and our own belief because we don't understand something. Something either in church history doesn't make sense or something that the Savior has said or done doesn't make sense. Had a, I've, I've had, had a young woman in my office not too long ago struggling with the idea that says, uh, I, I need to get a divorce. I'm in the process of getting a divorce. It feels right that I'm supposed to be doing this given how abusive my husband was. But the scriptures talk about divorce in such a way and I'm trying to square what I feel with what I'm reading. I said, great, let's, let's research this. Let's dig in to find out maybe what the scriptures really meant and can you trust that you're in the moving right direction. And so there's a gap of knowledge. And that's not due to her worthiness. That's actually due to her intense desires to do the right things. And bless her heart for wanting to do the right things and creating the doubts about as she tries to square her actions with what she's reading. I think it's a sign of her faith, not of her doubts. Can we resist that need to quickly solve everything? Recognizing that there, there may be some things, maybe many things for which we'll not have answers for anytime soon. There are certainly, brothers and sisters, things for me in, in our history or gospel knowledge that I have to put it on a shelf and just say, I don't think I'm going to have the answer completely to this in this life. I might. But in the meantime, we're going to, begin, we're going to move forward with the knowledge that we do have. I think like I've mentioned before, I would love to have more knowledge about our mother in heaven. I have a craving for that. And we have so little revelation and so little knowledge about her. I'm, but that's one of those things I have to pin as to why we don't. And why I, I continue to hope that someday we will. Brothers and sisters, I think our doubts and our questions can be holy things. And I think they can be signs of our desires to do the right things and know more about our God. And I think the time has come for we need to suspend our guilt because we ask questions. And question our worthiness because we have a doubt. May we learn to do that. And may we learn to trust in the process without a perfect knowledge and without all the information and move forward in faith. And that's my prayer and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.